Life Audio. Welcome back to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries. Um, okay, we're looking now at Jesus's provocative teaching on the topic of oaths, making vows, and in a broader umbrella sense, lying in general. And I think you're going to find this similar to the tact of his provocative teaching on anger and lust and murder and divorce. He's not trying to argue a new position or agree with camp A or B, right? Give the nod of the hat to the Hillel party or the Shammai party. His thoughts are simpler and more radical. He's making a larger point related to the Beatitudes. And by the way, his point is so much more interesting and doable Look, who who doesn't struggle with this? I mean, if we were honest, we're all on the spectrum zero to 10. Nobody's a 10. Nobody's a nine. I'm, you know, nobody's a seven, <laughs> right? So at the end, asking and debating how much we should swear, swear or what conditions should we swear? It's the wrong question for Jesus. Again, he has a kingdom question. Or if you ask what kind of swearing is better than others? Yeah, that's a human thing. And I appreciate the dialogue, but you know, and the other thing is, if I if I don't do oaths, is God going to love me more? That's going to get you in a lot of trouble uh, theologically, right? And hopefully we're seeing a common thread in Jesus' teaching, uh, right? We'll, we'll say more, but a couple of business notes. Uh, great news. The uh, seven-module small group study on the Beatitudes is out. You can get it on Amazon. Jesus said what with a question mark? Check it out on the website on our Engage page on gospel-app.com. You can watch an intro trailer at vimeo.com forward slash 7363688868. Or again, you can just go to the Engage uh, page on our website, gospel-app.com. This is maybe the best small group study that we have ever produced. Uh, Very, very important. Check it out. Uh, By the way, a new novel on the Sermon on the Mount, the Rabboni should be available soon. It's it's been uh, a project of love based upon all the work we're doing on the on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. I think it'll, you'll enjoy it. Probably published in October. More on that. Um, it's mission. It's Matthew on the mission field in Ethiopia, and you know what? He's unpacking the Sermon on the Mount for a new audience. All right, and and keep in mind, good enough parent uh, is published. It was. Uh, launched on September 14th. Check it out. If you're frustrated or weary parent of teens or tweens, and uh, you just want to become a more good enough parent, we've got something for you. Help us on the way. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. And it's totally free. Uh, we believe there's a crisis in families and we want to invest in it. So, so check it out. Tell your pastor about it, your counselors, your social workers, help us get the word out. Our vision is to reach 10,000 parents. Okay. Thank you for your help. All right, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsors. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? 
There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hey, welcome back. So here's the text that we're looking at in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 33. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. All right, first, Jesus is not talking about uh, all swearing, all oath takings here. This does not appear. Epiorkeo is to, uh, it is a spectrum, but generally it means to swear that something is true when you know it is false, right? So you're intentionally committing perjury. That's the, that's the context. Or to fail to do what you've promised under oath. And important, like we've said in, in previous places, Jesus is making a greater point, and that should be clear. Like the divorce teaching, right? It was about the, this this narrow case where the man is divorcing an innocent wife, right? He's picking a particular case where everybody would have agreed with. So everybody agrees that you shouldn't perjure yourself. Right? Nobody's going to disagree with that. The Hillel and Shammai camp all agree. He's Teaching, he's not teaching about oaths, but rather about what being enviable, being in this kingdom, being face to face with Jesus, and how that is changing you. That's what he's unpacking. If and remember, Jesus was not only teaching; his power, his spirit was rolling over the audience. Isaiah nine, changing the audience. And how do you know they're becoming more merciful? They're becoming more honoring to others. They're thinking more about the well-being of others and less about their own well-being the self-benefiting, the incurvitus-sensei motivation surrounding lying just wasn't as powerful anymore. So it's it's so now that you're looking through the Christ lens, people on the hillside, why would you lie as much? Well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't want to. So to make his case, he's starting off with a situation that everybody would agree is wrong. It's selfish. It's destructive. It's unloving. It's intentional. Consider a person who is lying and knows it. Now, look, I'm going to suggest, again, just to be heard, this is not about oath-keeping, not really. He's just using oath-keeping as an example of a life change. Uh, but to t- say that it's this is Jesus's core go-to passage on oath-keeping is bearing the headline. It's mostly about the fruit of loving and honoring others. And what does that look like? That's the overarching point of the Sermon on the Mount, not new lists of principles of how to live in order to earn God's favor. So bottom line, if I don't care for you or honor you or respect you, I'll be much more likely to lie to you. That makes sense? It doesn't mean anything to me to rep- misrepresent something if if I don't honor you. I would It would be like swearing to a rock. But if I respected you and honored you and wanted your best, why would I misrepresent something that could lead to harm to you? Right? It's the gospel of the Summer of the Mount. And listen, pushback, this is radical stuff. You haven't heard this before, no doubt. Bill at gospel-app.com, love to hear your opinion. All right, Matthew 5.34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, 
either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Yeah, okay. All that's agreeable. It makes sense. Um, But look, we do. Um. Well, well, let me say this. We won't, meaning let let me let what I'm saying be simply yes or no. We don't. We we exaggerate, we we color, we we lie. The Holy Spirit in us always says yes or no and means it. Jesus always said yes or no and means it. But us, man, things are loosey goosey here, even in the best of us. All right, let's dig in. Context. This antithesis, remember, Jesus says, you heard that it was said, but I say to you, this one is in the shadow of antithesis on murder and anger, lust and marriage, and now it's oath-taking. Well, that seems a bit of a strange place to put it. Wouldn't an editor argue that it should be first in the list? And after all, who objectively would disagree? If you aren't going to do it, don't say that you are. Isn't this in sync with the Old Testament and both schools of Judaism? Thou shalt not bear fault with witness against your neighbor. It's right there, one of the big ten. Well, it's a historic problem then uh, within the Roman confines, Roman's oppression, occupation, and historically, it puts missionaries then and today in at odds with a lot of governments who are demanding priority obedience. So missionaries might be asked, do you honor Caesar? Above all, will you swear an oath of obedience to Caesar? And they were they were asked to do so, commanded to do so. You can see the issues. It was similar issues in Nazi Germany and uh, Islamist extremist uh, governments and, and other places, right? For this reason, oath-taking could cause a life. It could cause suffering. And so... This topic has been historically on the forefront. It was debated by Augustine in the 4th century, Luther in the 16th. Did Jesus mean, is this what he's saying, is that Christians are forbidden to take an oath, right? Or else God's going to walk away or be disappointed. They'll be subject to condemnation. I mean, they're no better than Satan. Is is this the careless word that Jesus talks about later in Matthew? Here's 12, 36. Jesus says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will account for every careless word they speak. Well, uh, look, truth truth told, ironically, oath-keeping, particularly related to offerings, you know, when Jesus was walking the planet, it was just a hot mess in in Jewish writings and, and legalese. And these were swirling all around Jesus, particularly down in Jerusalem, but also in Galilee, wildly confusing you know, what about oaths made to offerings? What languages? It, it, it sounds a little bit like the political legalese rhetoric from Washington. And oaths had been stripped of any real meaning to people on the street. I mean, you could just change a word here or there or a word order and they could be a scam. Hot potato in the legal courts. Here's the Mishnah, uh, Jewish writings, the Netarim 1.3. And I'm just going to read the whole thing, and you can see it's gobbledygook, but you, you get this. This is where the lawyers have their fun. Quote, if one says to another, that which I eat of yours shall be considered lachulin, it is interpreted 
as though he said la chulin, not non-sacred, and the food is thereby forbidden to him. Similarly, if he said that the food shall be considered not valid or not dechi, uh, meaning not ritually pure, or if he said that the food shall be considered an offering that has been ritually un- impure, leftover, or pegul, an offering that was sacrificed with the intent to consume it after its appointed time, it's forbidden. If one says that food shall be considered like the lamb, the daily offering, like the animals designated as offerings and kept in special enclosures, like the wood of the altar, like the fires on the altar, like the altar, like the sanctuary, or like Jerusalem, or if he took a vow with any of the accessories of the altar, (laughs) although he did not explicitly mention that the food should be like an offering, it is considered a vow that associates a different item with an offering. <laughs> what? Uh, it goes on, Rabbi Yehuda says, one who says that an item shall be considered Jerusalem, instead of saying that it should be considered like Jerusalem, has not said anything, close quote. Uh, what? So this is the context. This is not let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's not your motivation. You're playing the game. You're, uh, you know, you're, you're, oh my gosh, it's it's embarrassing. But we do it, right? It's crazy, confusing, legalese. It's make a mockery of truth and, and everybody just becomes skeptic, right? And theoretically, well, let's, let's look at it positively. It, it was to make the land holy and suitable for a holy God. But here's God saying, you know, uh, what you mean is what you mean, and truth is truth. So let what you mean be what you mean. And to those people on the hillside, this is all coming to fruition. All right. Uh, here's another one. Book of Sirach, also intertestamental. So about the time of Jesus. Um, here it is, Sirach 23. Seven, hear, O ye children, the discipline of the mouth. He that keepeth it shall never be taken in his lips. The sinner shall be left in his foolishness. Both the evil speaker and the proud shall fall thereby. Accustom not thy mouth to swearing, neither use thyself to the naming of the Holy One. For as the servant that is continually beaten shall not be without a blue mark, so he that sweareth and nameth God continually shall not be faultless. A man that uses much swearing shall be filled with iniquity, and the plague shall never depart from his house. If he shall offend, his sin shall be upon him. If he acknowledge not his sin, he maketh a double offense. And if he swear in vain, he shall not be innocent, but his house shall be full of calamities. Oh my goodness, there it is. There's the the uh, cursing formula. Shirak says that God's going to bring down condemnation who swears wrongly, but continually is used quite a bit. Right, so this really is a warning to those people who are just doing it all the time. Jesus is saying, "You shouldn't lie at all, and but you will." And um, your problem is not the law legislation; the problem is your heart. That's why Jesus on the hillside was giving gave those people a new spirit and a new heart. It should change them. And so when he says, "Just say yes," or "Just say no." I think they would have understood. I think they got the joke. I think they. Uh, this meant that uh, you didn't need as many lawyers in on the hillside in Galilee anymore. Uh, some cults, uh, sects, sorry, not cults, sects of Judaism were really 
straining into this, the first century historian Josephus writes that the Essenes took it very seriously. Here's what he wrote of them. Quote, any word of theirs has more force than an oath. Swearing they avoid, regarding it as worse than perjury, for they say that one who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. So the, the Essenes made this a law and enforced it. Uh, Philo also notes that the Essenes showed their love of God, among other ways, by abstinence from oaths by veracity. So this was their testimony. This is how they showed the uh, God's love to the world. Look, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, but what, what the change is, Jesus is giving, injecting through his spirit, love for the world into these new disciples, into these new followers. And with that love, that's motivated them to not lie. See, the Essenes were not lying in order to show love. It's, it's, it's related, uh, looks the same in some ways, but the motivation is different. This has been a problem in church history. Uh, it's gone the wrong direction. Second and third century church fathers like Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Basil, Chrysostom, man, they taught this whole oath-taking in a very legalistic, moralistic way. Uh, this is how this is what Jesus commands clearly here, and so good Christians must do it. You do it regularly or you risk God's favor. Um, so is Jesus speaking into the confusion? Here's what God likes, and here's what he doesn't. Uh, who does he agree with or disagree with? Is this the spitting contest? If you want to please God, do you do this? Well, listen, if you've been following us, We've been laying a foundation that Jesus is saying that these antitheses, in, in the context of a people who are beginning to get it, beginning to feel loved and honored, and are beginning to feel love and honor towards others, the heart of righteousness, and that's what he's talking about. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Not new legislation, new guidelines, um, where, you know, if you cross this line, you're going to get electrocuted. So... These people have a new motivation that's pro-other, and so they're going to lie less. They're going to repent quicker when they do. So why would you get as angry as much? Why would you lust as much? Why would you divorce as much? The conversation has shifted post-Christ to, I'm feeling love for this person. Why would I do? Why would I not do acts of love towards them? And saying oaths fits into that conversation. Why would I lie? Why would I mislead someone I care for, exaggerate to someone uh, who I feel a new honor towards. So my motivation is less to get God's favor because I already have it. My motivation is because I actually care. Here's Barclay. Moral and social transformation was not an optional extra in Paul's and Jesus's understanding of grace, but it's necessary expression because the gift of God in Christ brought into question the whole value system of the ancient world and took place in relationships, not just in the heart, Grace, it turns out, is not an idea or a thing, but a radical divine dynamic. See, we, the more we talk about what, what was Jesus' opinions on this, we're missing, we're bearing the headline. Jesus is talking about and observing and giving witness to a radical divine dynamic that tells truth, that wants to tell truth. That's the point. So they had a new dynamic working. Jesus was using Jewish rhetoric to, to expose it, warmly humorous. So you've heard this law and that law or some other law. Good luck with all of those. 
They're all in agreement. You should do these things, but you won't, not on your own. But with my spirit poured out, your motivation to do right to others and for others will observably shift. People will notice that and they'll know you're my followers because of it. You know, you know what? You're going to swear less. And when you say something, you're going to really do it more often. All right, we're going to take a break for sponsors and see you again in a moment. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back. Uh, Here's a fun exercise. I think I just thought of this. Reread the passage. Uh, But imagine yourself one of the former surprise deplorables. You were self-focused. You were you were definitely willing to, to lie to survive at the end of the day. But boom, something's changed in you and you're feeling honored. Your honor cup's a little more full. You feel a little bit more secure. You seem to be caring about others a bit. You seem to want to treat people who were treating you so poorly. You're actually feeling a little love for them. Now what? Let me reread the section and see if stuff pops off the page. Let me know. Bill at gospel-app.com. Love to talk with you. So Jesus is still speaking to a group of people on the hillside who had been made unfortunate, enviable clients of a new great benefactor. They were the poor in spirit, at least until they came to the hill. And in the presence of Jesus, and there he gave them worth. He made worth happen in them. He gave them honor. His word, his gospel was sure. He didn't need to swear. What he said, he said. What he said happened. And so now they're enviable. The heavens are now theirs. Uh, this is not a, a swearing of Jesus. The heavens are now theirs. As much as the heavens were Abraham's, Jesus is comforting them. They're sons and daughters of God. And they're beginning to feel it. So they came to the hillside and curvetous in say, remember the self turned inward, they're survivors, not thinking much of others, just thinking of themselves and their own well-being. No, no judgment, it's humanly makes sense. No doubt they would have, like the rest of us, sometimes, sometimes used words to serve their own benefit at the express of others, you know, the little white lies or even bigger lies or whatever. 
So broken promises, probably, with or without excuses, rumor, innuendo, gossip, false charges, all fit under that umbrella. Because this is what survivors do. And we're all survivors in this groaning creation. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying it's just brain science. So yeah, think a rumpled, distressed person on the side of the road with a sign, need money for food and gas, headed to Texas for a job, have 15 children to feed, God bless you. Well, truth, lie, exaggeration, addiction, unclear. Um, we've seen a lot of it, right? But you know what? No matter, no matter whether that's you or not, again, no judgment. We all do it. We exaggerate. We do. Um, and by the way, the religious moralist on the hillside as well, they didn't, they didn't perfectly, even the Essenes ne were never perfect with their yeses and, and their noes. And let me give you a case in point. The, the Sadducees, the priests, they made an oath to guard the temple and to worship God. But the little lie was that the Holy of Holies was empty. Yet they went through the lie of Yom Kippur, where they would bring the the stuff into the temple and speak to God who wasn't there. It's a lie. Pharisees were supposed to care for the widows, the orphans, the beat up, the helpless, and no doubt they did some. But do we think or imagine that the people on the hillside would have said the Pharisees had their backs? No, I, I don't think so. How about the Sanhedrin? Remember how unjustly and, and how they used lies to mistreat Jesus. So look, Jesus walked on earth for, for, for 30 years and no doubt was shocked at how people were weaponizing their words, their oaths, their swearing, what they didn't say and how they said it. It reflected uh, self-centeredness, selfishness, how much people had to com compete for honor in that day and age, how insecure they were, how struggling they were, how oppressed and listen, trying to, to legislate truth or argue differently for the importance of telling the truth, it wouldn't have worked any better than it had in the Old Testament. That's the point. It's, it's, it's a heart change that's needed, a spirit involvement. And remember our discussion about pure in heart. I mean, the, speaking to the motivation of people, if someone truly loved and honored another, one of their best respected them, would they tend to lie? Would they tell a truth in a twisted way, a hurtful way, a thing that gave disinformation? Or would they even roll their eyes in a dismissive way? Our eyes and face speak volumes. Our words follow our internal motivations. If I'm in covetous and say, I'm going to gossip. Why? Because I get a hit of dopamine to be seen in the know. But if I really do love my neighbor and even my enemy, why would I say things that destroy or color things falsely. And we all do it. We are a lying people. We are misrepresenting people. Jesus is, and that's why I think this is after all of the, the other things that seem more important because this is pervasive. Jesus is fleshing out this omnipresent arena, a battle place in our uh, using our words, our communication. The religious moralists were still trying to, and again, Let's give me the give them the tip of the hat. They're trying to legislate paths in order to gain God's favor, to please God, so that you do enough to earn God as your benefactor. But the people on the hillside have already become God's beloved clients in a moment, not due to anything they did or didn't do. There was an absence of righteousness. And it, it wasn't so that they could enter into a new oath process. They were so bead. 
God said, so be it, and they were so be Now, these people are changed a little or a lot, and they begin to feel the need to earn God's favor a little less. They're feeling more love for others, and so I think they're seeing, they're, oh, how can I say it? They're allowing themselves to see how destructive their words and their sloppiness with words has been. And even for the legalists, who had very few kind words for the likes of them, So, Jesus says, in my kingdom, people tell the truth a little more because they are motivated out of love for others. That's what righteousness is. Not to get righteousness, uh, not to position yourself uh, higher in line with God, but because they're receiving and have received God's righteousness. They get the joke. Jesus does not need to lay out a detailed doctrinal thesis about what oaths are good, uh, which ones are approved, which ones are not good. How do you say it? Do you use the like the or use the or not use the like that he, he is sarcastically saying that the spirit of truth is speaking truth through people who were frankly fast and loose before and no legislation was required no guilt trip was required uh, would it make a difference well listen um again i should say just to emphasize the last two beatitudes are you will be persecuted um So do we tell the truth? Yeah. And will it cost us? Yeah. But c'est la vie. We're supposed to want to, we actually do want to tell the truth for the sake of others more. We who follow Jesus, who have a spirit, we respect them more. And frankly, that's the real enemy of gossip and rumor and slander and lying under oath. The real enemy of anger, lust, and marriage struggles is the spirit and changed heart. We can't legislate our way out of the misuse of words and, and the truth. We're habitual misrepresenters. Uh, by the way, turn on your TV, look at modern advertising. We're immersed in it. Look, with all due respect, look at our court system. Not guilty, please? How, I mean, we, we encourage, we instruct people to not tell the truth on a regular basis. It's the air we breathe. No judgment. And me too. All I'm saying is that when the Spirit of God is poured out in my inner being daily, your inner being, uh, I will want to tell lies less. I will want to honor my word more. And theoretically, I'll become more trusted as a truth teller. Not perfect, that's heaven, but it should be noticeable. So as I said before in the Sermon on the Mount, here's the implied formula. I should, uh, Jesus is saying, I say to you, you should do fill in the blank, but you won't. You don't. And that's why I came to rescue you from your selfish, hurtful habits and anti-community bent. (laughs) No judgment. Uh, He continues, I've made you my client. I pour out my spirit in you. And so now you're going to begin baby step, maybe kicking and screaming to want to a little or a lot to love other people, even though it's going to cost you dearly, even your life. I haven't come to preach another law but to set you free from the law by giving you the necessary power and motivation to love others and to love God, because now the spirit inside of you is making you want to. So you will notice that you lust less often. You get angry less. You get div- you get divorced less. Oh, yes, you will keep your word more often because you love others. You love others. You love others a little bit more. This is how... You naturally treat loved ones, even enemies sometimes. This is radical. All right? 
Well, what do you think? Have you heard this before? Doesn't that make sense as we've been talking about it? Go back and read the Beatitudes again, and, and you can see the changes, particularly in the second and third triads. Pushback, Bill at gospel-app.com. Uh, I want to take the last second to thank the team at lifeaudio.com for their partnership with us. You can go to lifeaudio.com and find many other faith-centered podcasts. Please do. Next time, we're going to be looking at the next antithesis of Jesus. Until then, take heart, child of God. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.